This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to have a big hour. Uh, Mark Thiessen will put it all in perspective at the bottom of the hour. You know, the R, he's a, a, a speechwriter as well as a columnist with the Washington Post, but a Fox News contributor. He'll be with us live and talk about, you know, there's two dozen Republicans or so or a dozen uh, ex-Republicans uh, who are not voting for Trump. I'm not sure why that's that big of a deal. And I think in the big picture... You have a lot of them didn't like the fact the Iraq war wasn't going well. They bailed out on Bush in the past. Uh, they were Everybody was behind Bob Dole. Where did that get him with Bill Clinton? I find it just fascinating. His approval so high. But every time a Republican like Kasich or Jeff Flake deflects, it becomes a uh, defects. It becomes big news. But we'll discuss it. Uh, we'll discuss it all, including including what's going to be happening this week. Four days, late nights. I'll try to watch as much live as possible while still knowing I got to get up at 2.30 in the morning, which will not be easy. Hope everyone had a great weekend. And keep in mind, if you ever miss the show, you get the podcast, BrianKillMeatShow.com. You can get it on uh, you can get it on radio.com to listen live around the country, and also you get it on iTunes or iHeart. So let's get to the big three. Foreign governments are going to try to influence our democracy for the rest of our lives. And when you find out about a foreign government trying to influence a campaign, you need to protect the campaign, not spy on it. They did it right for Clinton. They used the counterintelligence investigation to spy on Trump. That is a double standard. Uh, I would say so. And that, of course, is the familiar voice of Lindsey Graham with Maria yesterday. 2016, more evidence mounts of a double standard and a major discovery proves Republicans' complaints have merit. As John Durham sits down for hours with the former CIA guy, John Brennan, could Comey be next? He doesn't think so. Number two. The Democrats came out of their first ever virtual convention, making their case against President Trump, both by looking to the past and to the future. In short, they're coming out of their convention running the same campaign they did four years ago, more on character and decency than on policy, only this time against an incumbent president and with a nominee with lower negatives. Uh, Chuck Todd uh, talking about this. The president had a great line. He said, hey, I know you just had your convention uh, last week, meaning he was addressing the press. Uh, four days with a clear mission to dismantle and dismiss President Trump are done for the Democrats. How effective did the DNC make their case? We will do a postmortem on the virtual convention and look at an actual sit down interview for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. For me, it leaves more questions than answers. Number one. The president's speech on Thursday night is going to be a big highlight, but he's going to speak every night, right? Yes, he's going to speak every night, just like during the Democratic convention where Joe Biden wouldn't go anywhere. The president traveled this country. That's what we need, a leader not afraid to get out there. All right, well, while being cautious, uh, all eyes on the RNC. Uh, four days to create momentum four more to get them four more years in the White House uh, for President Trump. What are we to expect? Where will this all take place? And who and what are we likely to see? 
We'll break it down. So uh, Jason Miller yesterday with the campaign said expect surprises every night and expect uh, some of them will be tearjerkers. It won't be a dry eye in the house. Okay? We'll see how that goes. Uh, today's theme, Land of Promise. Uh, Tuesday's Land of Opportunity. Wednesday, Land of Heroes. Thursday, Land of Greatness. Now, we understand there's going to be a lot of flags. The president really did, was not impressed with the virtual convention. He wants none of that. He wants as much live as possible. I get the sense that he's going to have some sort of an audience. They said he will shatter traditions like we got to get used to that. He'll be delivering his acceptance speech from a grand stage on the South Lawn. A view to, uh, they expect big surprises, a very beautiful story, uh, according to Jason Miller. So we'll see. If that actually pans out, president has raised the bar because he thought and saw the virtual convention. And although Joe Biden, everyone's talking about the solid speech he made. We do know there was a 70 percent drop from Hillary Clinton's speech. And you would say there's more at stake because everyone knew Hillary Clinton could complete a speech. We weren't sure if Joe Biden can. And attention in terms of authenticity, people who look at Joe Biden and are worried about what he where he is right now. And how he's speaking and how he loses trains of thought. It is not about the stutter. It is about what he was as compared to what he is. I'm not talking about gaffes when he mocks the fact that people at 7-Eleven have Indian accents. That's not because of an intellectual deficit or old age. That's Joe Biden being Joe Biden. And he doesn't say that because he stutters. People are saying now when Joe Biden hesitates, he's sticking up for stutterers. Have some compassion. One has nothing to do with the other. And by the way, if you're getting older, join the club. Everyone's getting older. And the president's got to watch. If he comes out and he comes off mean about Joe Biden, that's one thing. The other thing is it's such serious stuff. You don't want somebody in the Oval Office who's going to have good days and days when he can't do the job. Senator Tim Scott will be speaking tonight. He's going to be one of the featured speakers. And there's no doubt about it. When you look at Tim Scott in South Carolina, you think of 2024. But first, he's thinking this year. Tomorrow night, I'll focus on growth, hope, and opportunity. If you looked at last week's uh, Democrat convention, you left shaking your head. What do they believe in? What do they want? Other than defunding the police, Medicare for all, raising taxes, we have no clue what they're going to do with a $7 trillion ask. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on growth. The Trump administration pre-COVID-19 created 7 million jobs, and they did it in an inclusive way. The lowest unemployment rate on record for African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians, 70-year low for women. If President Trump is reelected, and he will be, we can expect more growth. Okay, uh, I think that I think that would be two. We just got to get over through this virus. Yesterday, they had this press conference about plasma. And if you had the virus, you uh, please uh, and you test positive for the antibodies, please go to the local blood bank, go to, go online and give up your plasma because they say it's been 35 percent effective, which is getting you know close to the numbers of a vaccine. Meanwhile, some stunning news. First off, the fact that it looks like Mary Trump, um, the outrageous outcast. Uh, the daughter of Fred Trump Jr., who wrote the book that sold about a million copies about what a bad person President Trump is, uh, evidently taped President Trump's sister saying outrageous claims about him, that he's a liar, that he stands for nothing, he'll do anything. Congratulations. Uh, some more negative news coming out from the president's family. When you talk about families, you talk about a situation that a lot of people can relate to. That people in your family, and you know, I'm talking to everybody driving right now and at home right now or listening on AirPods right now. 
you have somebody in your family uh, that you don't get along with or you can't don't agree with. Now, in terms of presidents, a lot of that happened. I mean, I'm thinking about Patty Davis. I don't even think she voted for her father, Ronald Reagan. I'm pretty sure she didn't. Um, I'm sure I'm not but Ronald Reagan Jr. I don't think agreed much with his uh, with his father. I remember uh, I remember Jimmy Carter's brother was an absolute mess, Billy Carter. So you have a sister who's an accomplished judge who doesn't like the president. Okay, but she also wasn't at Robert's wake either. So my sense is that like every other family, there's some fractures. The other news that happened over the weekend is Kellyanne Conway says uh, after the public dismantling of her marriage, it seems, and the problem with her children uh, and the fact that the 15-year-old wants to be emancipated, Kellyanne Conway, who has played such a vital role in the president getting elected the first time when she came aboard in August of 2016, will be stepping away. Katie Pavlich on her impact. Cut 11. Without Kellyanne Conway, Donald Trump would not be president. She saved the 2016 campaign when she was brought in as a campaign manager in the summer of 2016. Uh, she then brought the campaign back and was able to target very specific places in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan with all of her expertise over the years in the Republican Party. She is a pioneer for women as she won as successfully as the first female campaign manager. Uh, she should be celebrated that way. Uh, and she has then followed the president into the White House and served him well there as uh, the counselor. Uh, that is so true. And it's a bit of a surprise. But my sense is if the Chuck Charlie Kirk on television today, he's going to have a big role in in, uh, in in night one, that you're still going to be playing a role. It's because if you want to deliver white suburban women back to the president, who he seems to be losing that to, college-educated uh, white women, and it's a key, or just, just uh, suburban women, I believe Kellyanne Conway is the key to that, and she knew how to talk to the president as well. No matter who you find that are successful in life, especially, or people with power, there are certain people that they just listen to. And Kellyanne Conway is somebody the president just listens to. So this is a big loss for the president. George Conway, that, that idiot husband of hers who was with that Lincoln Project, helped launch it, just an anti-Trump Republican, who pretend, Republicans who pretend to be Republicans, she, he is stepping away too. See what happens. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden sat down and talked to Bill Muir and he, David Muir, him too. So David Muir of ABC wasn't a it wasn't a rip roaring Mike Wallace, 1985, 60 minutes interview. But Joe Biden and Kamala Harris sitting together for the first time um, outside People magazine was significant. Here's what Joe Biden said. He thinks when President Trump attacks his cognitive abilities. Let's see if he calls David Muir a junkie. Cut 20. Watch me. Mr. President, watch me. Look at us both. What we say, what we do, what we control, what we know, what kind of shape we're in. Come on. This, look, I think it's a legitimate question to ask anybody over 70 years old whether or not they're fit and whether they're ready. But uh, I just, only thing I can say to the American people it's a legitimate question to ask anybody. Watch me. Yeah. Oh, people are going to be watching you. The problem is you don't do anything. He actually said, and maybe we'll play this sound a little bit later. Bill, uh, David Muir was asked, can you ask him, can you win the presidency without leaving your house? He said, maybe. 
without leaving his head, says, I see all these people. I address them all virtually, I guess, through Zoom and through these conference calls. He had some outrageous number. I reached 500 million people or something. What is he even talking about? There's 300 million people in the country. Who are these 500 million that you're reaching? You go into Germany and Canada? So one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So we'll see. You got to press him on that. You got to press him on the fact that she ripped him apart in the debates and pretty much destroyed him. And she did not even answer the question when asked about it. And I'll play that when we get back. I didn't want to take too much time away from the phone calls and the emails that were coming in over the weekend. But I think the president's poised to do something special. The problem is uh, they have four weeks to get ready for these big four days. And on most polls, he's trailing, although the in- internals show it's very, very close, especially in places like he needs. Upsets in Minnesota. Find a way to hold on to Wisconsin. Find a way to hold on to Michigan, North Carolina, and Arizona, as well as Florida. Each one will be a struggle. And I'll tell you one thing. The president's strategy of going out responsibly, having his people knock on doors and also go to places, is the only one I would subscribe to. Uh, because we have to send the message, too. You can listen to Joe Biden and hide, or you could be what the President Trump is doing and learning to live with the virus. Until we get a cure, a therapeutic or a vaccine, news flash to the University of North Carolina, and Notre Dame, and maybe your high school. we got to learn to live with it. Hiding from it is not an answer. When we come back, your thoughts are my thoughts. Then Mark Thiessen uh, will actually lay out his plan for the next four days on what he expects to see from the Republican Party and how this might be like Bush 41 trying to get his first term against Mike Dukakis. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to start on the issue of voting because your state was specifically mentioned there by Ronna McDaniel uh, as having increased mail-in ballots. 
uh, during the pandemic. During the March presidential primary, more than 100,000 mail-in ballots were rejected by election officials, according to data that had been gathered by the AP. Given that experience, doesn't that indicate that there are some significant gaps in terms of your state's election integrity? A democracy is not an easy thing, Margaret, of course, um, but I have a very deep confidence in our Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, uh, in our counties to be able to run elections and to run them well. And the difference is that we're trying to run elections that expand democracy, that give the vote to everybody, where we see a war on voters in other states run by Republicans who literally want to take people off the um, ballots, take them off the election rolls, you know, a period here, a different uh, middle initial. We saw it happen with Stacey Abrams in Georgia. She would be governor today. Yeah, think about what an uh, unsatisfactory answer Eric Garcetti as L.A. mayor just gave Margaret Brennan, who reluctantly asked a tough question to a Democrat on Face the Nation yesterday. A hundred thousand mail-in ballots were rejected in an election that had Wisconsin by 22,000 votes and I think Michigan by 10,000 votes. Why is that okay? Why are, re- are Republicans responsible for screwing up a hundred thousand ballots? Well, get this. There were five, according to the Washington Post, in the primaries, right, which were erratic through all these little these little precincts, 574,000 votes were rejected or not counted in the primary season a couple of months ago, or actually a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in New Jersey and in, in New York, they couldn't even finish and get a final total. They just, just whoever, whoever was winning just won. They found thousands of ballots not covered. If you're President Trump, and you know what, if you're Vice President Biden, you should say, hey, if you don't request a ballot, you can't get a ballot. If your Oregon has been doing this for five or six years, you got it down 10 years, you understand how to give everybody a ballot, they know not to go to a polling place, that's different. But you can't ask states that are screwing up primaries with mail-in votes to now blanket everybody in that state like they're doing in Nevada and expect the addresses to be right, the number of people to be right, nobody moved out of that area, and no one's going to be uh, picking up an old ballot to an empty apartment and filling it out and mailing it in. Joe Biden should insist on accuracy on that. And that ridiculous answer on Republican states is wrong. There's about 20 states looking just to blanket every constituent with a ballot. That's what's irresponsible. And you know that, and they should understand that. Missy, listening in West Virginia. Hey, Missy. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I was a cop for 20 years, so I want to put a little bit of truth out there that people don't even think about. And it's going to be mind-blowing for a couple of people. If you've ever been stopped by the police for a traffic violation— Look up at the heavens and thank Jesus, because had you continued your driving, I want you to think about this, because everybody's like, cops are such jerks on traffic stops. Here's why. When you drive like that, you're putting everybody at risk around you. So if you had kept going and not been stopped by the cop, I want you to think about this. You hit and kill somebody, not only are you changing their life, you're changing yours. Are you prepared? Are you the breadwinner in your house? Are you prepared to go to jail for a year because you killed somebody? Do you have $50,000 in the bank to defend yourself and then be sued civilly? Gotcha. And law and order is going to be a big theme uh, for Republicans. It was not a theme at all with Democrats. And what's making it tough, uh, thanks for your call, Missy, and thanks for what you do, what's making it tough for Republicans is that Joe Biden's coming out and saying, I'm not for defunding the police. AOC is, the whole squad is, Bernie Sanders is. Uh, when you talk about no fracking, Bernie Sanders is not fracking, AOC isn't. Uh, a lot on the left aren't. You know, nobody in California is. Kamala Harris is against it. Uh, Kamala Harris is coming out telling everybody, I'm for supporting the, the police budget in Los Angeles. 
most sober-minded people understand that Joe Biden's not going to be calling the shots. His policies uh, he's going to be headlining are the ones that the majority of Democrats want. And they want everything I said, but Joe Biden's not saying it. So what happens is you have to make Joe Biden come out loudly and clearly come out and say, I'm not for defunding the police. I am for fracking. I am for doing all of the above. I'm not taking down that wall, and I will not allow every Central American who wants asylum here to get it. And the minute he does that, the fracture in the Democratic Party will begin prior to the election instead of in before the election. And that's what Trump needs to do. Outline the difference and make Joe Biden define himself, which will alienate a lot of people in the Democratic Party. Mark Thiessen next on what to expect over the next four days and what's at stake for the Republicans and what the DNC didn't do this weekend. or la- Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Here's the biggest thing since we're here on Media Buzz and we're talking about media coverage. I believe that there's a certain misperception of who Trump supporters are. I think the way the media likes to try to typecast Trump supporters or try to put them down. And I will tell you, looking at some of these speeches and and hearing some of these stories, every night there'll be at least one point where there won't be a dry eye in the entire country as you hear these motivational and uplifting stories in the president's speech next Thursday. uh, You're going to want to be tuning in. Uh, we'll see. That was, of course, Jason Miller, who wants you to tune in. But we know that it's going to be a lot harder because it's not going to be crowds. If there's not going to be a big venue. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of drama, we don't think. But that's what President Trump thinks he can do some surprises every night. And they are starting at 830 instead of 9 o'clock. So they'll be a little bit longer. And they had a chance to see the troubles and the challenges of a Zoom convention. Mark Thiessen. Uh, former presidential speechwriter and columnist for The Washington Post and for Fox News. Hey, Mark, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. So what do you think? They've had four weeks to put together four days. Do you think they can pull it off? Oh, of course they can. I mean, look, they're, they're, first of all, he's he's a, he. You know, everyone makes jokes that the president is a reality TV star. Well, he actually is a reality TV star, and this is the biggest reality show ever. Um, so, you know, he knows how to do this, uh, and I think he's even brought in uh, the producers of The Apprentice <laughs> to right. to help with the, with the show. So, I, I have no doubt that they're going to put out an excellent show. The question is. You know, how do they do it differently from the Democrats? And I don't mean it in terms of style. I mean, in terms of substance. So what you saw in uh, with the Democratic convention last week was an exercise in base mobilization. They made a pitch for suburban to keep suburban Republicans who voted for them uh, in uh, in the 2018 midterms. Beyond that, it was all about turning out the base. It was all uh, you know trying to energize younger voters, trying to energize black voters, trying to energize the left. And the reason for that is that they have really low enthusiasm. I think only 25% of young voters are are very enthusiastic about the Biden campaign. Only 68% of young African Americans are really very uh, are supporting Joe Biden at all, uh, which means which is 17 points less than Hillary. So their core base is not pumped up. They hate Trump. They may be motivated against Trump, but they're not pumped up for the Biden-Harris ticket. The president has the luxury of the most loyal, the most fired up base in presidential history, right? Our, his people are, you know, 100 percent behind him. They're ready to walk over broken glass to go and vote for him. So what that means is he can use – he has the luxury. He doesn't have to use his convention to pump up the base. What he needs to do 
is reach out. There's a, there's a segment of the electorate, about 10 to 15 percent, if you look at all the polling, that supports his policies but doesn't approve of him. And that, those are gettable voters. Those are voters that, that it is in their economic self. They know deep in their hearts it is in their economic self-interest to vote for Donald Trump for a second term. He's got to use this convention to give them permission to vote for Trump. He's got to he's got to use this convention to convince those people that they should that they they need to give him a second term. That's what the goal of the convention needs to be. And the president flew down to Charlottesville with the vice president. I think they're going to be accepting officially accepting the nomination from the RNC, which is basically running some portion of the cam of the convention down there. They switched to Jacksonville, then they switched back. And now the president's going to be at the White House, it looks like, with some type of crowd. Now, the key, the key I think you'd agree, Mark, is to outline Vice President Biden's agenda. Now, if his agenda is middle of the road, he'd probably win. But we know when he comes to governing, for him to keep his caucus together, he's going to have to go way to the left. So fracking, oh, I don't have a problem with fracking. I'm not going to be funding the police. I'm going to be funding defense. I'm only going to tax the rich. That's just not going to be the case. He's going to get enormous pressure to stop fracking. He's going to get enormous pressure to get the money out of defense and put it elsewhere. He's going to get enormous pressure to give illegals health care and to get Medicare for all. And Barack Obama might have helped the president sell that Joe Biden is to the left. He says, to quote, to The New Yorker yesterday— If you look at Joe Biden's goals and Bernie Sanders' goals, they are not different from 40,000 feet above level. They they want uh, they both want to make sure everybody has health care. A lot of times that issue has to do with how do you get that and what are the coalitions we need. What I think the moment has done is to change some of those calculations, not necessarily because Joe's changed, but because circumstances have changed. Did he say the quiet part out loud? Yeah, he did. And look, this is the you're right. What the president needs to do and the camp and the convention needs to do is paint a very stark picture of what will happen if Joe Biden is, pre- is elected president. Look, the problem the problem is is that I've described this before is that the the, the Biden Biden is like their Trojan horse. Uh, he is this moderate, nice, genial, bipartisan exterior, uh, and but inside the ve- he's just a vessel for the left. Inside the Trojan horse is an army of socialists led by Bernie Sanders and Ocasio Cortez and Elizabeth Warren. As soon as they get through the White House gates, they're going to come charging out and 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 set the agenda. And you know this this I'm going to say something that sounds a lot like inside baseball, but it's actually the most important thing that's ha- that's been said in this election so far. Joe Biden flip-flopped on getting rid of the legislative filibuster, right? So he, he during the during the primaries he said absolutely not. I'm again. I'm a, he's a, he's an old senator. He's been in the Senate since like 1972. He loves the institution, right? And so he said I'm going. I'm, I'm, that would be a terrible idea. Not going to do it. He's now given in. He said the uh, he said a few weeks ago. Well, it depends on how obstreperous the Republicans are going to be. So what does that mean? If Biden wins. First of all, if Biden wins, they're going to take back the Senate. There's no, there's no, no scenario in which Biden becomes president, but Republicans barely hold on. So the Republic, the only check on Sanders and Warren and the and the left wing is going to be the Republican minority in the Senate if Biden is elected, right? And what do they have? The only thing they have to stop them from implementing their agenda is the filibuster. So what's going to happen is. They're going to get rid of the filibuster, and then you're going to have a situation where they have absolutely no check on their power whatsoever. Um, and, and so they're going to pass these radical bills in the House. They're going to send them over to the Senate. And what, is Joe Manchin going to stop them? No, he's not going to stop them. Joe Biden going to side with the Republicans and, and stop them? No, he's not going to stop them. And so they're going to send them to Joe Biden's desk, and he's going to auto-pen them uh, because that's what they see him as, their auto-pen for their left-wing agenda. And so 
you know, if you compare this to, to Barack Obama in 2009, so Barack Obama had for about nine months, he had a 60 vote majority in the Senate, which means then Ted Kennedy died, Scott Brown got elected, and all of a sudden the, the Republicans got the filibuster back. Joe Biden will have for two to four years, but Obama had only for nine months, um, the, the power to pass anything they want uh, without any opposition. And that is just a terrifying thing. And then you look at you, you run through in your recent column some of the stats that don't look good for Biden and gives uh, Trump some hope. Sixty five percent of Trump voters uh, supporters say they're very enthusiastic about him. Only 48 percent of Biden's voters said the same thing. Only 25 percent of voters 18 to 39 are very enthusiastic about voting for him. When people are not a uh, Biden meaning, but when people are not excited, they don't show up a lot of times, especially during a pandemic. Right. And then and so there's a, there's another interesting stat, which I saw in the Wall Street Journal's poll the other day, that I think something like 44 percent of Democrats plan to vote by mail or only 11 percent of Republicans plan to vote by mail. So, I mean, why are they, why is the big push for vote by mail? And by the way, we just saw today The Washington Post just reported half a million votes uh, got uh, got uh, discounted during the uh, during the prim- Democratic primary. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. Failure to vote for mail. You know, the so Washington vote Post by mail. Now, that now expand that to the to national figures, and you know, all of a sudden you've got five million, ten million votes that are getting discounted. Uh, and the you know the 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 whole stupidity of the Democrats running around saying Trump won't say preemptively that he will accept the election results. Well, first of all, uh, did Al Gore accept the election results on election night? No, I don't think so. Has Hillary Clinton ever accepted the election results? No. Uh, Okay. will the Democrats agree that they will not file any lawsuits and accept whatever happens on election night? I don't think so. It's more likely they are going to be the ones challenging the results of the election because their voters are voting by 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 vote by uh, by vote by mail more than the Republicans. And they're those are the votes that are least likely to get counted, not because of any postal conspiracy, because there's no postal. That's the new Russia conspiracy, the postal conspiracy. There's no postal conspiracy. It's because vote by mail has been shown to be less less reliable because people make mistakes with their ballots. There's, they can't go to an election worker and say, do I use a check mark or do I use yeah. a uh, or do I fill in the hole or how do I fill this out? So you're, you're making mistakes on your ballot. Uh, you, people wait too long to to ask for the ballots. They wait too long to send them in. And so a large percentage, I think there was an MIT study of the 2009 election. It had a 21 percent failure rate. In the in that election, in a with a much smaller sample and a much smaller percentage of, of mail ballots being used, so you're going to have at least a 20 percent failure rate of of uh, of mail in ballots and possibly higher. And so, so the who, Democrats are going to be the ones who are going to be yeah. uh, who are going to be challenging the results and saying uh, voter fraud and violations of the vo- uh, of the uh, of the uh, you know the, the voting laws and all the rest of it. And, um, well, they already so laid it out. They said that Trump's not going to want to leave. They said Trump's yeah. not going to leave. They keep saying that, and there's no indication of that. And number two is he's he's hurting the post office system, so they don't deliver the ballots, so he wins. He's rigging the system, and they're going to have also a hearing a today on it. So in 23 also states, over 500,000 ballots were rejected in 23 states. That, according to the Washington Post, this is 20 states are expanding their mail-in ballot program, including Nevada and New Jersey. Listen to the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, on if that state is ready to go all mail in. Listen. We don't want a bunch of ballots floating around out there, Brian, because in close states, that could really lead to a a bad result. Governor, doesn't he know that? Of course he does. So why is he doing it? Because it gives 
he believes it may give an advantage in a state like New Jersey to his party because there's a million more Democrats than Republicans in New Jersey. And if you actually send people a ballot, whether they've asked for it or not, he says we've always had vote by mail. Well, yes, we've had vote by mail, no fault absentee, where if you want to vote by mail, you have to make a request to the county clerk yes. in writing with your signature. And then and only then do they send you a ballot. He's, they're not ready. He says, we tried to clean it. He went on to say, we tried to clean up the voter rolls. We made some progress, but we didn't get close to doing it. So why do they want mail-in ballots, Brian? The reason that you asked him that question, the reason they're doing it is because they don't believe their people are going to show up at the polls. They're, they have a they have an enthusiasm gap with Trump that is significant. Um, and they have a particular enthusiasm gap with the groups that they need to turn out to, the, uh, to, to vote, right? And so... They know Trump voters are going to walk over hot coals to get to the polls and vote on Election Day. They're afraid their people won't get out of their beds. But if you send them a ballot and all they have to do is check it and put it back in the mail and not even don't even have to put a stamp on it because it's some sort of pre-addressed envelope, a pre-stamped envelope, then maybe some of those people will bother to vote. So what they're trying to do is the whole mail-in ballot exercise is an exercise in trying to get reluctant voters who they need to show up at the polls and, to, and, and cast their ballots because they don't believe they'll show up, particularly in a pandemic, despite the fact that Dr. Fauci has said that there's no, da- there's no danger in, in, mm. in voting in mail. That he, he compared it to going to the grocery store. It's like if you can go – basically, if you, what Fauci said in, in a shorter uh, Dr. Fauci, if you can wait in line to buy your milk, you can wait in line safely right. to, buy, to, to cast your ballot. Now, how do you feel this is going to resonate? He said they, the question Bill uh, David Muir asked him was, would you shut down the country again? Oh, my god! He gosh. said, yes, I would if the scientists told me to. What that, kind of that, does that resonate with people? There is nobody in America who wants another shutdown. I, I mean, I think I, I maybe there's a small minority, but I mean, Democrats, Republicans, independents, swing voters, you name it. Nobody wants to shut the government down. So if Joe Biden is the candidate of the sh- of shutting down again, uh, he's dead in the water. Uh, that's that's going to be incredibly devastating. I mean, even even in places where you have outbreaks, I mean, what, what in the reason we weren't able to avoid a shutdown to begin with is because we didn't have because the. The FDA and the CDC screwed up the testing, right? So most of the countries that haven't had, didn't have huge lockdowns, were because they were able to get testing right away. And what you want to do is you want to, you want to isolate the, you want to have local shutdowns as opposed to national shutdown, right? You want if there's an outbreak in in a county in Virginia, you want to shut down that county in Virginia and not shut down the entire state and not shut down the entire country. And so. What, that's where we are now, where we have enough testing. We don't have to shut down on a, on a wide scale anymore. But Joe Biden is basically saying, yeah, I'd do another national shutdown. That's like saying if my generals come up to me and said, we got to start uh, bombing this country, I'd do it because he's a general. No, you're the president. It's up to you to take consultations from the exactly. expert and do what's best for the country. That's called being a leader. Does he think we're idiots? I think the answer is yes. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Uh, you'll play. Thank you. Uh, your voice is always appreciated here. Always glad to be on with you. All right, Mark Thiessen, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back and take your calls, not only on that, about the revelation over the weekend that came forward. Lindsey Graham, just put an inquiry out to the Department of the, the, the Director of National Intelligence and said, was there any attempt by another country to infiltrate the Hillary Clinton campaign? The answer was, oh, yeah. And he goes, what country? They couldn't tell me, but they told him. And he said, and what happened? 
We told Hillary Clinton, gave her a defensive briefing, and then did an investigation, and we handled it. Why wasn't Donald Trump given the same thing, the definition of a double standard? We'll talk about that and more. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The issues of the time. Uh, and the way that he speaks about them will be very important in his first interview uh, with Dave Muir after after getting the nomination. He notes, no, I'm not in favor of defund the police. Now, the type of walk you're doing there is that you're saying, okay, I'm appealing to folks who don't think that's what we should do policy-wise, but also my base might get pretty mad that I'm saying this thing in public uh, and, and trumpeting this particular point of view, uh, and then maybe they get less enthusiastic, and you need them as enthusiastic as possible. So it's a tricky line to walk. Mary Catherine Hamm, and she she weighed in on CNN just about that, and that is a great point of view. And guess what Joe Biden did? Said, I'm for giving the police more money. Okay, good luck with that demographic. Of course I agree with that. But of course, money Democrat, almost every Democrat doesn't. The ones that agree don't say it. Jim, was on WDBO in Florida. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jim, you're on. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to James. Listen, to WLKS. Hey, James. How's it going, Brian? Good. What's in your mind? You know, it's an honor to talk with someone in such a high position of authority as yourself. I don't get a chance to do things like that, so it's an honor. Uh, the question is this. If 200 million uh, mail-in votes went to Biden, would not the Electoral College protect us, the integrity of the uh, voting system? I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't million? understand the Electoral College? There's 300 people in the country. I don't know how many are eligible to vote. But no, that's, saying, that's how bad the voting system of mail-in voting is. That's the corruption. So therefore, Electoral College should protect us, should it not? I don't, I don't know. I can't, don't know what you're uh, getting at. Dave, listening to Tallahassee. Hey, Dave, you listen on 93.3. Greetings. Uh, years ago, the problem was stuffing the ballot box. Today, with the blanket voting or the blanket mail vote, isn't that another form of stuffing the ballot box? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it seems you know, like it doesn't. It? And all it is is rhetoric to legitimize it today. Dave, and, Dave, 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 it doesn't. This should not be partisan. Today, you're going to get so frustrated if you watch these hearings. They're going to be yelling at DeJoy, who they don't even know, and the president did not appoint him. And he is a systems guy that was there to streamline and modernize the post office. Now they got in the middle of an election scandal. And they're going to have one of these other officers who's a Democrat talk about what a bad guy he is and how the post office has been brought to its knees. It is going to be maddening. I almost wish you wouldn't watch, but it makes our show better because you'll call back and give me your impression. And then we have the RNC tonight. Begins at 8.30 Eastern, ends at 11 o'clock Eastern. Then we got the post-game show, and the Trump haters will be the Trump haters. But there's a lot out there that it could be converted, and that's who the president's got to focus on. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody from uh, New York City. Heard around this great country. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend and a couple of days to take a breather from politics or discuss it at the barbecue. Now it's back for the RNC to answer the Democrats, who say basically the President of the United States is incapable of doing the job. It's above his head. It's more than he's capable of. So Michelle Obama and Barack Obama said it, so it's got to be true, and Joe Biden said it too. Said he quit on the coronavirus. I don't know. I see him talking about it every day. And yesterday at 5.30 Eastern time, we heard about a therapeutic plasma that anybody who tested positive and has the antibodies should give the plasma and help others recover. They say that it's, uh, it's very effective. It seems like a guy that's engaged. But I guess it's just pure politics. The Dems' goal is to drive home that he can't grow into the job. And Joe Biden is a moderate, nice guy. We will see. Meanwhile, in New York, it's a big day because for us, at least on Long Island and Westchester and upstate New York, we could go to a gym for the first time since March at 30 percent capacity. And we can go to a museum. Look out. It's time to see the T-Rex at the Museum of Natural History and maybe Teddy Roosevelt before they take that offensive statue down, which, of course, is so terrible with him on a horse. So this is good news. But in New York City, no indoor dining because and no plan as 25,000 eateries are left really on hold. 500 plus were unable to pay their lease. One in seven have tried to renegotiate their lease. And over 200,000 normally would be employees, restaurant workers, in all shape and form, from hosts to waiters to cooks to prep cooks on down, are without a job. And this mayor says, I don't even know how we'll do that. You know how dangerous it is in the city as compared to where you are. And in New Jersey, you're not allowed at all, which makes no sense. Keep in mind, this thing called fall and winter's coming. Don't ask for the federal government to bail you out as a state when you have a chance to let restaurants uh, increase the tax base. Instead, you just want to hand out from the federal government if you're the mayor of New York or if you're this mayor. If you're this mayor, uh, you might even forget that you actually want a tax base. Let's get to the big three. Foreign governments are going to try to influence our democracy for the rest of our lives. And when you find out about a foreign government trying to influence a campaign, you need to protect the campaign, not spy on it. They did it right for Clinton. They used the counterintelligence investigation to spy on Trump. That is a double standard. More evidence mounts of a double standard and a major discovery proves Republicans' complaints have merit as John Durham sits down with John Brennan, the CIA guy, For over an hour, could Comey be next? Number two. The Democrats came out of their first ever virtual convention, making their case against President Trump, both by looking to the past and to the future. In short, they're coming out of their convention running the same campaign they did four years ago, more on character and decency than on policy, only this time against an incumbent president and with a nominee with lower negatives. Uh, That is Chuck Todd. You know that. And he is talking about four days with a clear mission. Dismantle, dismiss President Trump. They're done. How effective did the DNC make their case? We will do a postmortem on their virtual convention and look at an actual sit-down interview with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. For me, it leaves so many questions. 
Number one. The president's speech on Thursday night is going to be a big highlight, but he's going to speak every night, right? Yes, he's going to speak every night, just like during the Democratic convention where Joe Biden wouldn't go anywhere. The president traveled this country. That's what we need, a leader not afraid to get out there. Yeah, well, that's what we need. But instead, you have a guy that's leaving his basement and being given high grades for being responsible. All eyes on the RNC. Four days to create momentum for four more years in the White House for President Trump. What are we to expect? What are you to expect? And where will he take us? It begins at 830, ends at 11. And what we're likely to see, we'll break it down. And I got the whole list of speakers there. Don Jr. is going to be speaking tonight. Ronna McDaniel is going to be speaking tonight. Tim Scott, I think he's going to be a front runner if he wants it. Uh, for the RNC, uh, for the for the nomination. I think he's going to run for president eventually. At least I hope so. I think that Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, already thinking about 2024. That's why you are going to be seeing Pompeo coming to you from Israel. Nikki Haley will be there. And I think uh, you'll you also, Don Jr., you can't rule that out either. So there's a lot to discuss on this. First on, what can we, what can we expect tonight? Well, uh, Michael Goodwin joins us now. And, Michael, when we saw the RNC, the DNC, Donald Trump knew one thing. He didn't want that. He did not want a virtual convention. Is he right? Uh, Good morning, Brian. I think he is right because uh, so much of uh, the convention, it's all designed for television. And without an audience, it's like we see it in sports now, right, the baseball games without without fans in the stadium. It's like going to, uh, you know, a funeral home or something. I mean, it's just a very quiet, hush-hush affair. It doesn't have the same thing. You can see it in the players. They don't – they're not as jubilant. There's just – an energy that's missing. And so I think particularly on television for a convention, um, if you want to tell a a funny story or you want to make a poignant point, uh, if there's no audience, it's as as if the people at home uh, are not clear how how to respond. I mean, it's a very strange thing, but the audience is sort of like the Greek chorus in, in a play. They tell you how to feel. They tell you how to respond. And I think that without without people in the seats, or fannies in the seats, as George Steinbrenner famously said, uh, you, you, don't, you don't get the same energy back. Right. And so the whole thing, I th- think, kind of falls flat. I think, I think the president's going to do something with an audience, no doubt about it. He's going to build up the South Lawn. That seems to be the case. He's going to be at Constitution Hall, I think, with some others. Uh, but I think they're going to be making the case for President Trump. Is he making a mistake being on all four days? Well, let's see how much he's on. Uh, I think it would be a mistake if he dominates all four days. You you want to build until a crescendo of the final night and the presidential acceptance speech. That should be the highlight. If every time the president appears, there's the risk that you're eroding the expectation of what he will say. Now, Biden appeared frequently throughout the first three nights, often in just a small setting with three or four people yeah. on video, but it was to keep him front and center, and they talk about him. So some, sometimes these things are much more effective to have others talk about you than for you to talk about yourself or to be seen yourself. Absolutely. He's got to prove he's acceptable. I would love to see Melania Trump attack back at Michelle Obama, who said that the president's not up for the job. He just can't do it. It is what it is. Well, if your husband was up for the job, my husband wouldn't have to leave his to do that job. There's so much there for to say. I think people could like to see 
a, a Trump family member on his side. They'll see it with Eric. They'll see it with Tiffany. They'll see it with Ivanka. They'll see it with Don. But knowing that his sister feels this way, knowing that Mary Trump sold a million books ripping him, I would think that Melania Trump, who's been pretty quiet for three years, could really make some headway. Well, that would be interesting if she did give an overtly political, you know, personal defense of her husband. We haven't heard that from her. That's not the way she has uh, conducted herself. It's been about, you know, a more traditional first uh, lady projects such as the most recent one, the Rose Garden, the, the uh, Be Best, the anti-bullying, those sorts of things uh, are what she has uh, focused on, which, is, which I say is more traditional. If she were to wade into a political uh, operation and say things, that would be interesting. And, and I agree with you. It would, be, it would get people's attention. So here's the question, Michael, and I have no idea your answer. Donald Trump says, I got to learn to live with the virus. That's why he's traveling to Charlotte today. That's why he's been traveling all week. He's not saying, give me a big rally, but they're giving smaller audience, smaller addresses, but he's moving through these battleground states. He's having his people telling the RNC, knock on doors, do it responsibly, but knock on doors. Here's what Joe Biden is not doing that. Wear a mask, stay home, vote for me. I make sense. And listen to what he said, whether he can win by staying at home. Cut 38. Can you win a presidential election from home? We will. We're going to follow the science, what the scientists tell us. We've been able to travel places when we've been able to do it in a way that we don't cause the congregation of large numbers of people. Look what happens, what's happened with his, his events. People die. People get together. They don't wear masks. They end up getting COVID. They end up dying. So when you hear the president say this guy's afraid to leave his basement, Guess what? <laughs> I have left my basement, and but here, in the meantime, 500 million people have watched what I've done out of my basement. And guess what? People are listening. I don't know where that 500 million people. So we got people in Canada, Mexico, South Central America, Germany, and Scandinavia listening. Well, you know, Brian, and that's such a classic Biden. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that clip, but you know, when you when you give him follow up questions, two or three questions on the same topic, that's where he he collapses. He starts, he gets he gets belligerent. He gets offended by a follow up, and then he gets and then he says something really stupid. Five hundred million. What did he say at one point? A hundred and fifty million people died, or something yeah. like that. I mean, I mean, he just, you know. He, he just throws things at you, and I think that uh, there's, a, there's a good tip-off there for journalists as well as for the president in the debates. Follow-up questions trip him up because he gets, he gets angry at the idea that you're challenging him. Yeah, I got something else. Uh, so you know Governor Cuomo has decided to use these last few weeks just to rip Trump, and then he used that speech just to rip Trump, forgetting that we know that he's on record on national television saying President Trump has given him everything he asked for and more. Trump has been there for him, but he's flipped, which is why when it comes to the nursing homes, he wouldn't answer that question. But now there's going to be a national policy on nursing home procedures because of New York who we thought we lost 6,400 seniors in nursing homes when, when infected, they went back to the senior center. Listen to 
what Senate, State Senator James Scofus said on CNN, Gut39. My gut sense is, at a minimum, we're talking um, probably a couple of thousand additional deaths. We need to understand what worked, what didn't work, and we need to best prepare for next time. And the only way to do that is to get full information. So he does not want an investigation. He's trying to trip it up. A bipartisan push to find out what happened, because if we get hit with a second wave, is anything changing? What is your take on his un- in, uh, unwillingness to be accountable? Well, it's it's worse than not wanting to be accountable. I mean, they've actually fudged the numbers, Brian, in a way that is designed to reduce the, the catastrophe in the nursing homes. Mo- almost every state now counts a nursing home death as someone who got sick and sick and died, uh, got sick of the COVID in a nursing home and died. New York stopped counting those who died in hospitals as nursing home. So the point of, of where people got sick is the is the issue here. Uh, that they, of course they were transported to hospitals for better care, and many of them died there. But you will you will not understand the virulence of the disease and how to protect people in nursing homes if you fudge the numbers this way. The whole point is what keeps people safe in nursing homes, and the death totals tell you what happened there. So Cuomo is trying to fudge that, which to me is an admission of guilt. He knows it's a catastrophe. You know, Brian, you, you, you hear about how America is so terrible on the COVID, and we do have enormous numbers of cases. But, in fact, uh, we have roughly 20% of the worldwide deaths are in the United States. Guess what? 20% of the American deaths are in New York. And probably somewhere around half of those will have taken place in nursing homes. So that's why I think, and, and many states had even higher percentage of their deaths in nursing homes. They didn't have nearly as many deaths, but they had higher percentages in nursing homes. And you will find, yep. by and large, these are northeastern states that all work together uh, following the same prescription, which is that you can send contagious uh, hospital patients into nursing homes back in March, April, and May. They all work together to devise this Northeast Compact, and they all made the same mistake. And so I think that's why an investigation, a national investigation, is also required to see, because if let's just assume for a second that even 40% of the deaths across America uh, took place in nursing homes. And if you had done better in nursing homes, you would have reduced the death total dramatically. Shouldn't we know that for the next time? Shouldn't we know that to, to understand what worked and what failed? Uh, that's what Cuomo uh, is blocking, because he doesn't want the truth yeah. out there. And if he didn't, he, would, he brings on the scrutiny by the swagger and the condescension and the, uh, the selective enforcement of his stupid rules that make no sense. Um, it, and what, what I just kills me, what's happening, it's not directly to him, to these restaurants in New York City with outdoor dining only. First, they told them they could open up indoor. They ordered all this food after being shut down. Then they shut them down again. They lose all their money. To, thousands are going out of business daily basis, and they won't even put the time in to figure out a plan. Real quick, your final thought. Yes, I agree. I mean, I, I, I spoke to a restaurant owner recently in New York, open only outdoors, and I said to him, well, you know, well, you survived. He said, not yet. 
Uh, and I think that even those outdoor restaurants, when they're busy, it's a fraction Absolutely. of the customers they can serve if even you would allow them 25% capacity indoors as well. So, yes, they've got to let these restaurants experiment right. with us. They've got yeah. to find a better way. Yeah, I don't like to eat next to a racing Chevy Citation. Uh, we are literally in the street. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Michael Goodwin. My pleasure. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Of course, the opposite of in-person learning is distance learning. Even hearing the phrase distance learning makes me want to drink scotch straight from a bottle. Okay, fine. I'll do the distance learning again. I'll morph from grumpy parent into personal assistant of my children. Excuse me, sir. You have a third grade Zoom in five minutes. And here's your sliced apple snack. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to order more scotch. (laughs) Jim Gaffigan, uh, he is one of the many parents. He's got like five kids. And by the way, I think his wife, I hope she recovered. She was experiencing cancer treatment. I remember. I think she did recover. Oh, great. Uh, She's one of his chief writers. And he's just talking about what every parent's talking about. No matter your age, I think it's much more difficult. I was uh, having dinner with somebody that has to Zoom kindergarten as the teacher. Zoom kindergarten. How the heck do you do that? One out of every seven kids is remote learning. I don't know what's worse than for the teacher or for the parent. <laughs> well, and certainly the kid is hurting. Right? 100%. And they need to be with other kids. James listening in Michigan. Hey, James. Yeah, Brian, I want to appreci- I appreciate all you're doing for bringing the truth to America. And real quick, I'd just like to say I'm 60 years old. I got four children. All four of them are millennials. When they go to the voting booth in November, it's going to be based on two things, their wages and their 401K. And before COVID hit, they were rocking. And I don't think this is unique to my four children, their friends, uh, family talk about the same thing, what's important, and also supporting law enforcement. So I I know where you guys, do you know your governor, according to the Daily Mail, is the reason there's no Big Ten football? Yeah, she's, uh, there's signs all over with her name, but... um, It's not in support of what the governor's done. They should pay the price for that. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I can't imagine that I'm a target. I saw the news report that John Brennan was a witness. I, given that I know what happened during 2016, which was a bunch of people trying to do the right thing, consistent with the law, I'm not worried at all about that investigation of the investigation. Next, I'm sure, will be an investigation of the investigation of the investigation. They just want to have an investigation to talk about. Well, there's a huge problem with James Comey sitting there uh, tight in a tight shot in front of a still picture. And that is that James Comey did not, was not the high and mighty, I did things right, and the circumstances were just bad and there was no winning. 
The more information comes out, the worse he looks. Remember, Horowitz found out that he was not telling the truth. The FISA warrant wasn't done above board and perfectly. He said, well, I thought it was. I trusted the process. That's where I was wrong. People underneath him. There's an FBI agent that changed an email that allowed the FISA process to move forward. Are you the FBI director investigating a presidential candidate? What could be more important than that for you not to have any role in this? So you're going to say you're distanced from this. And then we find out the Russian source that provided the intelligence for the information actually worked for the Brookings Institute on Long, uh, in New York, in Washington, D.C., rather. And this subsource that provided Christopher Steele with the information that wrote the dossier that talked about how Donald Trump was basically being extorted to do what Vladimir Putin wanted, all that stuff wasn't true, and it was based on stuff that wasn't true, that the subsource located the Brookings Institute with connections in Russia, said it was bar talk. And even what he told Christopher Steele, he didn't even recognize it in the report. And who hired Christopher Steele? James Comey. James Comey's FBI. And who was underneath him? Andy McCabe, whose story dif- differs from James Comey. And then we know Andy McCabe, Peter Strzok. Lisa Page, Bill Priestep all knew the subsource was phony, all knew this information wasn't right. They supervised the changing of the FISA application. And in layman's terms, which is the where I live because I'm not a lawyer, essentially, if you know somebody's got national security and national consequence or a, or a mobster of major proportion, and you're an investigator— Instead of going and going, telling that person, we well, here's a warrant for your arrest and getting that person to get lawyered up or not talk to you, they secretly surveil them. And the one thing you need is integrity because when you turn around and give your application to the judge, he has to make or she has to make a judgment on whether you need to wiretap and, and, and take away some rights of an American citizen, right? To do that, there is no defense of you because you don't know you're being surveilled. So you just got to know if you're a judge, everything here is true. By the power invested in me, go ahead, wiretap them. They change that application. And then when they put together all the evidence, that means they had to look after Papadopoulos. They had to look into uh, Carter Page. They had to follow up with Michael Flynn. The applications were based on the – a lot of it was based on the dossier, which we know is not true. Comey's in every step of this process. So what changed? What changed a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, Lindsey Graham thinking out loud said, okay, I don't understand. One, you get this information about the Russians trying to infiltrate the Trump campaign and, and went into the DNC server. Why didn't you go up to Trump and just say, listen, there's people trying to infiltrate your campaign. They're, they're trying to get a hold of your son. They're, they're getting a hold of Michael Flynn. They're, they're, they're using Stefan Halper to get in front of Joseph Mifsud. They're talking to one of you guys. I'm worried about Papadopoulos. I'm worried about Carter Page. I'm worried about Michael Flynn. You give the defensive briefing to the person. So they said, well, I couldn't do that because Michael Flynn was there the whole time. Chris Christie was also there. You had no problem pulling Donald Trump out of that meeting and say, Donald, I need to speak to you. And Mr. President-elect, I just want to tell you that there's this dossier out there with unsavory activities that you did. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it's out there. And then Trump looks and he goes, you trying to shake me down? 
I don't have an attorney around. I got elected. Now you're trying to tell me I didn't really win and that some dossier allowed the Russians to infiltrate my campaign? Can you imagine if you did that in 2015? And you said in, in the spring, here, you know, it looks like you're going to win the nomination. I'll tell you, the Russians are trying to get to you. They go, we couldn't do that. Okay, fine. But you know who you did that with? Hillary Clinton. How do you know? Because Lindsey Graham asked the question. He said, did any other country try to get into the Hillary Clinton camp? You know what the answer was? Yes. You know what the country is? They won't tell us. They told Lindsey Graham, but he's, of course, bonded and he's under uh, its national intelligence situation. And it turns out this other country is trying to get into Hillary Clinton's campaign. You know what they did? They briefed her. Here's Lindsey Graham, cut 44. This is unbelievable. So we have these documents to show on air, and these documents, which are now declassified, show that they found out in March of 2015 that, in fact, there was right. a foreign government trying to get Hillary Clinton elected. Which foreign government was it? I can't tell you that, but there was an effort by a foreign government to funnel money into her campaign. They picked it up in March. The FBI wanted a FISA warrant to follow the activity. The seventh floor, the leadership of the FBI said, no, you can't get a warrant until you defensively brief her. They did that in October. They gave her a chance to fix the problem. I assume she did. They never did that to Trump. And he goes on. But I want to bring another perspective in because I got Lindsey Graham in a different hour today. And, you know, I talked to him yesterday. He's incensed by this because with all that's going on with the DNC, the RNC, running for election, Mary Trump, his sister, tapes, it's hard to get oxygen to this situation. But it's real. And the person involved in a major way is Joe Biden. So having said that, I hope you're able to follow it. I always fear that people are going to. Uh, their eyes are going to glaze over and go, I'm not sure what he's talking about, but I hope I grounded it in a way in which it's obvious for non-lawyers like us to understand. So here's what Trey Gowdy said about the new revelation, Cup 48. Devin and I ask about the, the differences in the defensive briefing. Uh, the FBI's explanation was, well, we, we couldn't tell President Trump because some of the targets of our investigation were sitting beside him, uh, Flynn, Manafort. So our response was great. When you sent word through Chris Christie, we need to talk to you alone, how did that defensive briefing go? When you said, okay, we can't do it today, let's tell the president, let's tell candidate Trump tomorrow without them around, how did that conversation go? They said, well, we didn't do that. So you see how we could have had this all off? So John Brennan, John Durham's uh, pursuing this investigation. Already got Kevin Kleinsmith, the FBI lawyer, to admit he changed the document that was handed over to a judge. If I'm that judge... And I'm counting on integrity and honesty amongst the FBI. I look back at all the other applications. Okay, you went after Trump this way and changed intelligence uh, that I was reading. What else did you do? And do you know what the question was to Smith? They said, you know, Carter Page, he's speaking in Russia, and he's a foreign policy advisor to President Trump. And we're getting all these Russian contacts. What's, what's going on there? So they said, before I put an application into wiretap Carter Page to see if he was sent to Russia to give a speech and for Donald Trump, think about how crazy this is. It's not even a Tom Clancy novel. By the way, you know what the backstory is? Carter Page went up to Corey Lewandowski and said, you know, I'm a foreign policy advisor, you guys. I was asked to speak at this university in a commencement address. Do you mind if I do? And they go, yeah, you can go. Do it yourself, but don't do it representing our organization. All they had to do was go, Corey, 
uh, who's this guy Carter Page? Why is he speaking in Russia? Isn't he a foreign policy advisor? He goes, and he would have told him, stop the investigation. We wouldn't have been through two and a half years in millions of dollars. So I mean, if I was that judge, I'd be so angry. I'd say, you lied to me on this application, and what was the lie about? So because they, Carter Page was investigated before, and he had Russian connections, they want to find out what was going on. So the CIA asked Carter Page to work for them. They said, could you just tell me what took place here, and I'd appreciate it. We're trying to build a case around X, Y, and Z. And Carter Page worked for him. So before they put in the FISA application, they had to make sure that the application was accurate. Let's just say it that way. So they asked the CIA, did Carter Page work for you? Do you know what the CIA said? Yeah, he did. Do you know what Kleinsmith did? He changed it to say he never worked for him. How bad is that? You would have stopped the investigation there. Listen, Michael Flynn is having normal conversations with Russians. I've read his book. I know his background. He's an American patriot that uh, did more for our country in his, 30, in, his, in his 32 years serving the military than 99.9% of the people in America. We know he's not sold out to Russia. In a book that was published six months before, he talked about Russia the way Romney talked about Russia as our number one geopolitical foe. So now we're seeing if Durham's getting to the bottom of this. And the reason why you should pay attention to Durham, because he can't be categorized as partisan, because Eric Holder's praised him, Comey's praised him, everyone's praised him on the right and left. Here's Devin Nunes on the interrogation interview of John Brennan Friday on what might have taken place in that conversation. Cut 53. Now, how did Brennan have that information? Who gave him that information? There's no track record of it at the CIA or any, anywhere else. He claims that he gave some of this to the FBI. I also know that, that we had this strange set of briefings that occurred in late July and through August and into September of 2016, uh, where, where every member of the Gang of Eight uh, got these individualized briefings. Now, I know at that time, I didn't receive anything on the, on the fake steel Democrat dossiers. Uh, but I know that Harry Reid at the time, retired senator, Democratic uh, Senate uh, leader, he did. He did get information from Brennan uh, on, on the dossiers. Because a couple days after that meeting, he writes a letter to the FBI asking questions uh, that he could have only received okay. from the dossiers. Which now they're diminishing and saying it wasn't important in the whole process. Of course it was important. John McCain got it and handed it over to the FBI. The FBI basically said, I got it already. Arthur, listening on WABC in Manhattan. Hey, Arthur. Hi, uh, Brian. I'm concerned about the mail-in ballots, and I had an alternative. Okay. Instead of having a one-day voting on Tuesday, November 3rd, have two days. On Tuesday, people's name starts with A, C, and E Absolutely. would vote. And then, I brought uh, that up the, to the president a month ago, two weeks ago, uh, and okay. he's open to it. Yeah, because, I mean, that, that gives people – there are legitimate reasons to be concerned about waiting in line and, you know, uh, uh, social dis- – Hey, Arthur, I'll give, you, I'll give you a better scenario. If uh, – let's say you're 70 years old and you just beat cancer and you just want to make sure you don't go to a polling place, someone didn't sanitize, you end up getting this. All right, fine. Say, know what you do? Apply for an absentee ballot. Mm-hmm. You'll verify your signature. They verify your address. You get it. And if there are people who are upset because the post office could lose it, I get it. But I'm not worried that worried because there's a process. I worry about entire states mailing ballots to where they think their, their citizens are. And then we don't even know who's in that family. Did the, is the kid at college? Is a, is a parent going to fill it out for the kid? 
you know, is did they move? Do the new people there just fill it out and mail it in? And then they say, if you show up in person, it's provisional, which means because you know why? They don't have any record whether you voted by mail or not. So yeah. they're not going to have any record that you voted. So you're, you show up just for the exercise of it. You don't even know if your ballot counted until after the election. I'll take a couple of days. Mitch, WDBO in Florida. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Brian, you there? Yep. What's on your mind? Hey, guy. Hey, mine's similar to the other guy that you just had on. So here's the deal. I got an old childhood friend who's a mail carrier, and we don't get along because I'm Republican and he's a Democrat. We don't even talk to each other. But the last time we spoke, he really was a Trump hater. So how can you trust any Postal Service employee doing their job faithfully? I I worry about that, too. I worry about that, too. Uh, because President Trump was very flagrant. He goes, the post office doesn't work. Uh, they're not working. Or, you know, it's not a good model. Uh, we're getting taken advantage of. And people could take that personal, number one. And number two is they just might be very liberal and think the president's ruining the country, as opposed to Joe Biden and his brilliant views and those wonderful speeches, how great he'd lead the country. I worry about that. The more people with their hands on our ballots, the bigger problem. But what I think the president made it more of a Republican problem, and it's not. It's an American problem. And now we have the post office master, you know, general taking questions instead receiving speeches about what a bad person he is when no one even knew who he was. He's not even a political appointment. Just so happens this guy was a donor to President Trump and he was there to try to fix the business model. So please don't fall into uh, this whole political battle. But I do worry about people with a political agenda and I'm seeing this thing on social media about how people could tell through the envelopes, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, that would be an issue. Then you worry about people opening it up, and they, they, they say, well, people won't do that because there's fear of jail. Outside Lori Laughlin, people are getting out of jail every day now. But we have to get her off the street so we, it's okay to, you know, to live again. She's going to be going away for two years or something like that. Is it two years, Lori Laughlin? Two months? Uh, it's going to feel like two years. But she's got to go to prison. But everybody else is out of prison. I'm sure some postal worker is going to open it up and say, for the good of the country, I'm going to change that voter, toss it out. Dorothy, listening on 97.3 in Florida. Dorothy. Hey, Brian. I just wanted to quickly say there's a different solution that no one's talking about, and that's called mail uh, – sorry, and that's called drive-in voting. We already do drive-through banking. We have smartly and quickly did drive through COVID testing. So why can't Trumpy use that billions of dollars that the Congress like just it. passed and say, great, thanks I for like passing it. this big bill, man. What we're going to do now is you're going to refit all our voting precincts with the drive through and people can drive in their cars. You could expand it five days. I kind of like the idea of doing the last names or whatever. Do the drive-in. People go on their designated day, or even if they can't, so what? You do five days. People drive up. They go yep. in. They get the. They show their ID through their window. They get their ballot. They they do their filling in. They drive to the next thing where no human being is. Slip got it. through that. I got it, Dorothy. Good point. Maybe we can commandeer every Wendy's. And make Wendy's a voting uh, a voting place, and everyone can go there and get a shake and a ballot. Or you should have the ballot already, and then you can vote. That would help a lot, though. It would help not everybody. Some people don't want the contact. Period. But it would help others that don't want to get out of the car, can't get out of the car, worry about waiting a long time to get in the booth. 
but you have a verified signature, verified ID, that, 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 that helps a lot. Uh, when we come back, I'll take some more phone calls and find out if there's more to know. Listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show, a very busy Monday. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I think it was really disturbing. I think particularly to go and publish this story literally the day after President Trump and the rest of the Trump family laid Robert Trump to rest after they had his funeral services at the White House. And this was President Trump and Marianne's brother, Robert. And to go and run that just immediately after uh, these services, I really think is is beyond the pale. It just, I think there's... uh, I think there's something very, uh, very wrong when the Post would decide to go do something like that. And I pray that they find some peace in their hearts uh, because there's clearly so much anger and and bitterness towards President Trump that I don't think is fair to Robert Trump and his family. Yeah, look, uh, the Trumps are out there front and center. The president's life used to be there. We used to learn a little bit about Roger Trump, uh, Roger, uh, Robert Trump, because he was married to another high profile woman and they had a breakup about 12 years ago. But Robert was very loyal. Fred had a drinking problem. His dad was hard-charging but incredibly successful. And it looks like his sister and he had some conflicts. But people run with this because she was, she was, without her knowing it, she was taped seemingly by her niece, Mary Trump, we believe, that gave it to the Washington Post. She's going to do everything to make sure uh, Uncle Don doesn't become president. Join the club of people with families that's... Maybe they don't don't get along. I don't think it's going to matter much. What about you? Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Well, it's kind of interesting. President of the United States in Charlotte, North Carolina, he's going to be accepting the nomination of his party, as will uh, the Vice President of the United States, and he's going to go to a factory there. Uh, North Carolina was going to be a big blowout event that it was moved to Jacksonville. Now the RNC is going to be in Charlotte and really Washington, D.C., uh, and then a little bit later, we're watching some of the proceedings now of uh, the Postmaster General uh, getting skewered by Democrats and praised by Republicans. He didn't do anything. He's in the middle of a political fight. I hope he realizes that as people are now blaming him for doing Donald Trump's dirty work to screw up mail-in voting, which is just an insult to everybody's intelligence, including if you know what the president's worried about. It's not mail-in absentee voting. It's when you mail out all these ballots to everybody you think lives in your state based on roles that were updated years ago and the chance for fraud. So let's get to the big three. Foreign governments are going to try to influence our democracy for the rest of our lives. And when you find out about a foreign government trying to influence a campaign, you need to protect the campaign, not spy on it. They did it right for Clinton. They used the counterintelligence investigation to spy on Trump. That is a double standard.
2016, more evidence mounts of a double standard and major discovery proves Republicans' complaints have merit. And John Durham sits down for hours with former CIA head guy John Brennan. Could Comey be next? Number two. The Democrats came out of their first ever virtual convention, making their case against President Trump, both by looking to the past and to the future. In short, they're coming out of their convention running the same campaign they did four years ago, more on character and decency than on policy, only this time against an incumbent president and with a nominee with lower negatives. Uh, That was Chuck Todd, four days with a clear mission to dismantle and dismiss President Trump. Well, they're done for the Democrats. How effective did the DNC make their case? Will we see a postmortem? We'll do it right now. The virtual convention is now through. Joe Biden uh, was able to survive and maybe thrive. Him and Kamala Harris sit down for the first time, this time with ABC. We'll tell you what they said. Number one. The president's speech on Thursday night is going to be a big highlight, but he's going to speak every night, right? Yes, he's going to speak every night, just like during the Democratic convention where Joe Biden wouldn't go anywhere. The president traveled this country. That's what we need, a leader not afraid to get out there. Uh, That is Kevin McCarthy, all eyes on the RNC, four days to create momentum for four more years in the White House for President Trump. What are we to expect? What What will actually take place? And who and what are we likely to see? Uh, Let's break it down with Steve Scalise. Uh, He is uh, working in the House in the minority, and he wants to be in the majority. Rudy Giuliani in about 15 minutes. Senator Lindsey Graham at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. Ryan, good to be back with you. Hope you're doing well. Good. So the political rights up that you guys really are in the dark about what's going to take place, meaning even leadership at the RNC. Is that the the case? Well, what I would expect is you're going to see uh, the president and, and everybody that's speaking, laying out the case for, you know, showing what the president's done, how he's fought for people uh, and helped people and delivered for, for families across this country. And who better suited to get our country back after COVID than Donald Trump, who's, who's built the greatest economy once? He'll do it again. And, and I think it's a strong contrast to what you saw last week. I mean, a lot of just anti-Trump hatred, not a lot of vision. You know, Joe Biden, even the things he talked about. For goodness sake, he's been around for 47 years and he's never done any of those things. Uh, Let's talk about what Donald Trump's already done in just 47 short months and what he'll do for the next four years. I think that's the theme you'll see this week. Uh, I know Tim Scott's going to be speaking. Jim Jordan's going to be speaking. Nikki Haley's going to be speaking. Charlie Kirk, who really has as much power with the next generation of Republicans as anyone I know. The McCloskeys are going to be there. They're the ones who had to use, had to defend their own property from rioters who had broken their fence and were about to take their house. Sean Parnell, he represents a lot of hope for Pennsylvania. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., a lot of people are focusing on, evidently. Uh, They are very high on him. Uh, Matt Gates will be speaking, and so will you as the uh, as the minority whip. So tell me, uh, Congressman, what is going to be your focus? Brian, I really want to share a little bit with people what I see behind the scenes of uh, Donald Trump is a, is a man who fights for people, uh, especially the forgotten men and women of this country. You know, when you're working with them on things, whether it was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act or, you know, or even on foreign policy, he, he cares about people, and he wants to deliver for those people at Washington and left behind. And he's got results. He's delivered results time and time again. Uh, you know, and I'm also going to share a little bit about what he's like as a person, how much he cares about people. And, you know, obviously with, with my, my firsthand story uh, that, uh, you know, I saw when I was in the hospital. I mean, he would just call to check on me all the time. He came to the hospital to uh, to check on me and, you know, help uh, my family go through that, that those dark days. And that's the kind of person that he is, but yet that's not 
the side that the media wants you to see. And, and so I think it's important for people to see that side of him. Uh, and, and I've sure seen it. And, you know, and I've seen him fight for those people that nobody was fighting for, including Joe Biden, for a long, long time. So uh, speaking of Joe Biden, he did sit down for an interview and he had some interesting answers. Number one, when it comes to the coronavirus, what he would do if uh, if he took over now. And he was asked by David Muir about uh, COVID-19. Here's what he said. Uh, here's what he said about what he would do. Cut 37. I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. So if the scientists say, shut it down? I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists. Does he really, is that going to resonate with the American population? It might. I mean, we have 176,000 dead, but are we ready to shut down? Well, and just think about what Joe Biden is saying. Maybe because he's been hiding out in this basement for the last few months, he hasn't watched what Donald Trump has done, listening to scientists leading, uh, going after this virus in every kind of way. First of all, when you talk about the very beginning stages uh, when we were being lied to by China and then we start finding out, Donald Trump said, OK, we're banning flights from China. <laughs> Joe Biden was out there criticizing him. And by the way, I asked Dr. Fauci in a, in a hearing under oath, Number one, if, if President Trump took the right action right. in banning flights from China and Europe, and Dr. Fauci said, yes, President Trump was right. And by the way, President Trump's action saved lives. And so Joe Biden would not have done that, which means he would have ignored scientists and he would have cost us more lives. And so, you know, he, he can say whatever he wants. Go look at his actions or, or his lack of action. Speaking I mean, of that. It's kind of like when he was in the situation room when they were just start deciding whether or not to take out Osama bin Laden. Uh, you know, we know what his recommendation to Barack Obama was. Luckily, President Trump's decisive. Trump's taken out Soleimani. Trump's taken out al-Baghdadi. Right. He's a decisive leader who takes the right action and gets results. Yeah, they, he's been wrong on almost every foreign policy uh, decision, that according to Bob Gates. So the big story was Saturday. You guys had to work, and you voted on a bill that's not going to see the light of day. It's $25, more, $25 billion more to the post office, which they said they don't need. But what does it mean? Do we still need a rescue package for the country? Mark Meadows was walking the halls as chief of staff and tried to get some a meeting with Nancy Pelosi. He could not do it. Cut 33. Has nothing to do with voting. It has everything to do with a political statement. Here's how I know. Because in the privacy of the negotiating room, I offered $10 billion plus reforms for the Postal Service that actually they've been asking for for a long time to Speaker Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And when we offered that, there was another thing that came along with that. The Postmaster General said he was willing to pay whatever overtime it, it was that was needed to make sure that we deliver the mail on time, first class mail, which includes mail in ballots. So it was not an issue three weeks ago. So he couldn't even get a meeting with her what do you think Americans need now? What should be in a rescue package, a so-called skinny rescue package, that Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to hear about? Well, the, the first thing American people need is, is honesty and, and truthfulness. And I think you're, you're not seeing that from Speaker Pelosi right now. I mean, she's literally trying to create hysteria and, and a fake scandal where it doesn't exist because she wants people to think that they're not going to be able to vote 
and that somehow it's Donald Trump's fault, like everything else, she's, every other hoax she's purported, going back to the impeachment hoax. And so you look at the postmaster general, for example, he testified under oath just a few days ago that they've got more than enough money to run, not just through the election, but through the middle of next year, Brian, without another dollar. And in fact, Treasury offered them a $10 billion line of credit, right. and they said they can't access it because they've got too much money in the bank, $15 billion they have in the bank. And so, you know, you got families and small businesses going, boy, I could sure use some help. And instead of bringing us back on a Saturday for that, Nancy Pelosi is trying to create this political crisis that's so important that 68 Democrats did not even show up to vote on Saturday, 68 Democrats. So, you know, when you look at where we are, we've got over $500 billion still out there from the relief packages we've passed. I'd like to see us focus on making that money more flexible to work for families, not cutting another trillion or two or, in Pelosi's case, $4 trillion of money we don't have barred from China. How about you go make the money that's already out there, sitting in bank accounts, work better for families, open up schools again. You've got money, by the way, Brian, probably over $75 billion that is still sitting in the state's checking accounts that we sent them that can be used to safely reopen schools for those that aren't reopening. Fortunately, a lot of ours are reopening uh, here in Louisiana, but those states that claim they, they need more money for schools, there's money. It's sitting there waiting for them. But the post office, my goodness, they've got more cash than they know what to do with right now. Clearly, they've got problems gotcha. and reforms that need to be made that predate Donald Trump. Uh, but the election is going to be able to be carried out. Um, you know, know, and they're just trying to scare people because they don't have any message to talk about with Joe Biden. They don't want to talk about Joe Biden. They're Congressman, I got you. I got to run. Yeah. Thanks so much, you know, though. Best of luck and, and best of luck with these uh, these hurricanes that are bearing down. Hopefully they, they calm down. Congressman Steve Scalise, thanks. When we come back, Rudy Giuliani. He's going to be talking on Thursday, Congressman Steve Scalise tonight, and then Lindsey Graham on the latest Russian revelation. Busy hour. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I want these anarchists to hear me clearly and loudly that this will not be tolerated in our city. You are not welcome here. If you choose to come back to Denver, Colorado, you will be met with every tool in our disposal from law and policy that we can use to stop you. And that is uh, Murphy Robinson of Denver talking about Antifa, not welcome in Denver. And I give him credit for that. Joining us right now is Rudy Giuliani, no stranger to law and order, also hosts a a great show on WABC uh, in Washington. And will be speaking on Thursday, uh, the big night, the last night uh, for the RNC. And and a lot of people think that one of the great chances left to get get some momentum to give the president four more years in office. Uh, Mr. Mayor, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Don't we need to hear more of that? Don't we need to hear more of that in Seattle, Portland, Chicago, Philadelphia, sure. in New York? Sure. First one. I, I, as far as I can tell, this is the first mayor that's actually acted like a mayor. The rest of them, I mean, I think Antifa and Black Lives Matter must be shocked at how easy it is to push these mayors around. The, the mayors, the prosecutors. In Chicago, they actually finally arrested the protesters, and, and the prosecutor let them out in two days, a day. 
They were all put back out on the street, a thousand of them. I mean, there's something ridiculous going on here. It's like anarchy, which I think is orchestrated. It's orchestrated between Black Lives Matter, George Soros, and the Democratic Party. But how do you know? Well, because Soros, going back about four years ago, started electing DAs in strange places. All of a sudden, he's interested in the DA in San Francisco, Santa Clara, California, Atlanta. You know, the woman in Atlanta who's prosecuting uh, who's prosecuting that woman uh, for Oh, yeah. The Black Lives the McCloskeys. Matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a out-of-control Soros. That's an out-of-control Soros uh, prosecutor. The guy in Philadelphia, he, he doesn't take property cases. No property cases. The, the police department has picketed him like four or five times. And the crime rates in Philadelphia are up. It's the number, number two for murder in the country now is Philadelphia. Number one is Chicago, and number four is New York. And they've all gotten to that position within the last year. So Soros put in about 15 of these DAs who were former, like, poverty lawyers. Right. They don't believe in prosecuting. They don't prosecute any marijuana cases. They don't prosecute any drug cases. And they find all kinds of excuses to let people out of jail. I think he wants to create anarchy so that this country becomes a socialist country. But so, Mr. Mayor, the effective counter would be, well, Donald Trump's in charge of the country, but he does not in charge of the cities. Technically, he is. But you have to be invited in with these federal agents. Do you think people separate the difference? Or are they going to say, we need a change? And, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but we need a change. Our cities are out of control. I, you know, I think it's our job, meaning Republicans' job, to make it clear that this is a Democrat problem. Very, very few of the cities that have had any kind of riots were Republican. And the stuff that happened in the Republican cities is mild in comparison. I mean, it's really five cities that have contributed the biggest part of the problem. And they're all Democrat cities. They're all Democrat cities with extremely lenient, pro-criminal, anti-police mayors and prosecutors. Uh, This is a Democrat problem. Focus on Chicago. You can't possibly blame Chicago I know. anybody Republican. Nobody Republican has been allowed to touch Chicago in 100 years. Uh, and New York, you know, the only time a Republican got to touch New York was me. We improved it dramatically. So you look at New York. They started, they started having uh, 1,000 to 2,000 murders a year in 1969. It didn't end until 1995 when I was mayor. 30 years. 30 years of killing 2,000 people a year. Me- totally pre- under Democrat mayors. I think we have to get that point across that Trump offers us law and order, sensible law and order. They offer us, you know, um, the suburbs of this city, of this country, are going to start seeing this kind of thing if Biden is president. Mr. Mayor? Yesterday, yeah. yesterday in Portland, they went out to the suburbs. They're making our point. They're making our point that this is a different movement. Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter is a, is a, are organizations to want to overthrow our basic form of government. Ms. And Mayor, they're going to come after the suburbs. I hear you. And they, and they are. We, we've seen some of the video over in Portland saying, uh, you know, get out of uh, you've had it too good for too long. So, Mr. Mayor, I've got to ask you something New York-centric, if you don't mind. They've decided no, to tell, they told the city in, in 90 seconds here, they told the city no more indoor dining. And you're talking about 500 restaurants could not pay their leases. 25,000 eateries have been told if you don't have an outside, you know, folding table, you're out of business. This is 200,000 workers are out of business. You could do it on Long Island. You could do it in the Hamptons. You could do it in Westchester, but we not don't. in New York. Whoever heard of this? 
We don't even have a COVID problem anymore. I mean, it's not spreading. Nobody's really dying in these significant rates. The hospitals aren't overwhelmed. And people are pretty much following the mask thing. I, I go to dinner in New York outside. Uh, I'm in Washington now. I had dinner inside for, for the first time in, you know, 10 weeks uh, here in Washington. Everybody's socially distanced. There's no difference between the problems in Washington and New York. I, I, the man has become like a monster. The, the mayor, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, just an absolutely he not, he not evil, detached guy who never had a job in his life. Uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, It's the stupidest decision you can make. I know. Mr. Mayor, we're going to listen to you locally. You can get it on the stream, too, from 3 to 4 on 77 WABC. And I look forward to hearing you. We'll talk to you every day leading up to Good. your big speech. Thanks, Thank Mr. You. Mayor. Uh, Rudy Giuliani. And we come back, Senator Lindsey Graham, on the Russian revelations that even stunned him. You'll hear that, and then we'll end up with your phone calls. Busy hour, Brian Kilmeade Show. The RNC looks to get traction tonight, 8.30 Eastern. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I can't imagine that I'm a target. I saw the news report that John Brennan was a witness. Given that I know what happened during 2016, which was a bunch of people trying to do the right thing, consistent with the law, I'm not worried at all about that investigation of the investigation. Next, I'm sure, will be an investigation of the investigation of the investigation. They just want to have an investigation to talk about. Is that true? Does Senator Lindsey Graham need an investigation to talk about? He's got nothing else to do. Senator Lindsey Graham up for re-election this year uh, joins us now on the eve of day one of the four-day Republican convention. Senator, uh, your witness, James Comey, says you just want an investigation of an investigation of an investigation. (laughs) Well, let me uh, remind the uh, former director of the FBI that the inspector general did a review of Crossfire Hurricane and found that the warrant application against Carter Page uh, was uh, dishonest, fraudulent, and the FISA court rebuked the FBI and DOJ for withholding information from the court uh, regarding its sculptory information. Basically, here's what Comey is saying. I didn't know that my own FBI interviewed the Russian subsource in January and March and found out from the guy who prepared the dossier that it was unreliable, zero corroboration, a bunch of bar talk and garbage. So I don't know why they didn't ask him this on Face the Nation, but here's the question to Comey. Were you aware that the subsource was interviewed in January and March? And were you aware of the fact that the people who interviewed him uh, wrote two memos saying that the entire dossier was unreliable? And if you weren't aware, do you agree with me you're completely negligent? And if you were aware, do you agree with me you lied to the court when you signed the warrant application in April and June? And here's the problem with the media. The guy goes on television. He talks about he's got no liability, no exposure. Here's the issue. How in the world could the FBI interview the subsource in January and March, find out the dossier, which was necessary to get a warrant against Carter Page, was a bunch of bull, and not tell the FBI director of the number two McCabe? I find that impossible to believe, 
And uh, I'm hoping Durham is looking at that. And then you brought up the fact that there was a defensive briefing that Hillary got that Trump didn't. And you stumbled into that by asking you like a question. Uh, Did any other country try to infiltrate Hillary Clinton's campaign? And the answer was so, yes. Well, so, Brian, here's here's what happened. This is 2020, right? Yep. We've had investigation after investigation. And my staff was able to find that in March of 2015, a foreign government tried to lobby the Clinton campaign and funnel cash into the Clinton campaign. She announces in April of 2015. The FBI picks up on this. They want a FISA warrant to follow this activity. The seventh floor of where Comey works said, no, you can't get a FISA warrant until you brief the Clinton campaign so they can correct the problem. Compare that to what happened with the Trump campaign. They had four uh, counterintelligence investigations open against Trump people. Not amounted to anything, but they never told Trump about any of them. Instead of giving him a briefing like they did Clinton about the problem, they sent an agent into spy on Trump and General Flynn in a generic briefing. They actually told Clinton about the problem in October 2015. Amazing. And you just stumbled into that, but you just, you just were wondering, right? I just asked. I said, you know, they're coming after all of us. Foreign governments, just not Russia and China, my friend, would like to disrupt American democracy. Uh, terrorist organizations would. So we need credible counterintelligence tools. But the problem with Comey and McCabe is that they weaponized the counterintelligence investigative tools. They had a different standard for Clinton than Trump. They literally... Uh, briefed her about an effort to infiltrate her campaign. Uh, they never said a word to Trump. They used the counterintelligence investigation as a way to spy on the Trump campaign. And uh, I wish somebody would ask him about that. But it's just lucky we found it. I got a great staff, and only God knows what else we missed. Here's what Trey Gowdy said about all this. Cut 49. We didn't, we didn't, let, Chris Christie's in the room. We didn't let Chris Christie, a former U.S. attorney, know we really do need to talk to candidate Trump alone. So Devin and I said, why not? Why not say we need to talk to just you, not your campaign people? They have no explanation for that. And quite frankly, Maria, you mentioned John Ratcliffe. If it weren't for Rick Grinnell and John Ratcliffe, we wouldn't be getting these documents. It sure as heck has not been Chris Ray that's getting them. He's been opposing it. It's Grinnell and Ratcliffe. You want to expound on that? Yeah, well, we actually, uh, it's my staff who found this. It didn't come from Radcliffe. It didn't come from Brunel. We found it. We requested it. It took me three months to get it from the FBI. You know, Ray has been helpful. Uh, it's slow. There's a bureaucracy around this. It's unbelievable. Uh, Barr has been terrific. He wants to clean up the mess. But here's what I would say about Director Ray. Show some enthusiasm <laughs> for making this place work again. Conservatives are very reluctant to trust the FBI with counterintelligence tools, given what happened with Comey. Comey's biggest offense is he's put in jeopardy techniques we need to defend the country of being so political. It's just obvious to me that the FBI treated Clinton differently than Trump. It's obvious to me from the emails and all the communications. They hated Trump. They thought he was a bozo. They wanted him to lose, and they used techniques that were designed to protect Americans against Americans, in this case, the Trump campaign. But here's what I hope Durham is looking at. 
uh, James Comey signed a warrant application in April and June of 2017 after President Trump is the president of the United States against Carter Page. The dossier was the primary document that led them to get a warrant. They tried to get a warrant before the dossier was used. The dossier got them over the top. And in January and March, a couple of months, a months before the April-June uh, application, it was clear to the FBI that the Russian subsource was not based in Russia. He was a steel employee, and he disavowed the uh, dossier completely. That's what Horowitz found. The question I hope Durham is looking at is, there, was there any notice to McCabe and Comey that the case had fallen apart? Again, I find it hard to believe that low-level FBI people would keep that information to themselves and not share it. Because, Brian, you're talking about one of the most high-profile investigations yeah. in the history of the FBI, a sitting president and his campaign of 2016. I find it impossible to believe that nobody told the higher-ups, oh, by the way, the dossier is no longer worth a crap. So the other movement on that, too. So we'll see what happens if he is exposed. But John Brennan was interviewed for eight hours on Friday. Eight hours. Yeah. Brennan welcomed the opportunity to answer Durham's questions related to the wide range of intelligence-related activities undertaken by the CIA. You know investigations. When do you investigate somebody for eight hours? Here's what I think uh, Brennan's most relevant on. The intel community was very down on the dossier. We found documents where the intelligence community was trying to tell the FBI that this dossier doesn't sound reliable. It doesn't look reliable. It may be Russian disinformation. Uh, I know that it was Brennan who objected to including the dossier in the intelligence assessment uh, about the 2016 campaign provided to President Trump. So if I'm Durham, I would like to get as much information as I can about how the FBI was warned about the reliability of the dossier and that they continued to use it anyway. So I don't know exactly what they were talking about, but I do know that the intelligence community was very suspicious of Steele and the dossier and told the FBI about it, and they continued to use it anyway. I would imagine that's part of the interview. Little thing about politics for you, you had a 17-point lead. It, they said now it's a tie on real clear averages, or you're up nine on the real clear average, but it's a tie in the latest Q poll. Are you worried? Well, you know, I take everything seriously, but the uh, the uh, the the Quinniac poll, Quinn, whatever you call Quinnipiac. that group, they had 31 percent of the sample Republican. Well, the historical average is at 41 to 46 percent of the people who vote on election day in South Carolina are Republican. So, if you underrepresent Republicans by 11 to 15 points, it will change the outcome. Uh, I feel good about the race. I'm taking it seriously, but my opponent is going to raise probably $60 million. Now, think about that. Mitch McConnell's, McConnell's opponent is going to raise probably $60 million. <laughs> Trump won Kentucky by 30. He won South Carolina by 13. I won it by 16 six years ago. This is a Republican-leaning state. Uh, but Democrats are raising money based on hate, not logic. They hate me because of Kavanaugh. They hate me because I've been helping Trump. They hit Mitch McConnell because he's been a successful majority leader. And so the number two, one in two Republicans in terms of fundraising is Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. 
that tells you all you need to know about the state of the Democratic Party. They're willing to give money to the people they hate rather than supporting logical races or funding what they love. When you see Kasich and Jeff Flake and the Lincoln Project, re- traditional Republicans coming out against Trump, uh, what message are you getting? Well, I, basically, I just wrote an op-ed piece. Uh, I don't know if you have it or not, but the case for Trump, why I'm supporting President Trump because he delivered. I think these are outliers in the Republican Party. In my polling here in South Carolina, the president enjoys just through-the-roof support among Republicans. Uh, the president and I are going to work on independence. But uh, the Republican Party is solidly in President Trump's camp because mm-hmm. if you're a Republican, you've got a lot to be grateful for and proud of. 200 conservative judges, two Supreme Court justices. We've cut taxes, deregulated the country, rebuilt the military that was broken, destroyed the caliphate. Gotcha. No uh- better friend in the world to Israel than Trump. A new NAFTA deal, the USMCA. I can go on and on and on. Uh, the UAE-Israel uh, deal, this president has delivered. And if you're a Republican, he's the most pro-life president in my lifetime. There's a lot to celebrate here. Yeah, and it could be Bahrain, Sudan, and Saudi Arabia next. We'll see. Uh, it, it, the dominoes are beginning to, to fall in the Mideast, a resetting of the Mideast. But Iran got out of the Iran nuclear deal. The Ayatollah and his henchmen are on the ropes. So on a foreign policy front, Trump has been transformative. He has been a disruptor, and I think the disruption right. has been for the good. Uh, things are working uh, better in the military than any time I can remember since Reagan because Trump has rebuilt the military. I want you to hear your buddy, and I mean it, not sarcastic. I know your friends. Senator Joe Biden, when asked on ABC yeah. uh, if he's ever going to get out of his basement, cut 38. <laughs> can you win a presidential election from home? We will. We're going to follow the science, what the scientists tell us. We've been able to travel places when we've been able to do it in a way that we don't cause the congregation of large numbers of people. Look what happens, what's happened with his his events. People die. People get together. They don't wear masks. They end up getting COVID. They end up dying. So when you hear the president say this guy's afraid to leave his basement. Guess what? I have left my basement, and but here, in the meantime, 500 million people have watched what I've done out of my basement. And guess what? People are listening. 500 million people have not watched him in his basement. Uh, that number, he makes well, up numbers that I've people. never seen. Yeah, that, <laughs> we only have 300 in the, we have 330 million in the country. 500 million haven't seen him in his basement. Apparently, I think. Can he win without campaigning? I think, I think the Chinese are watching. Hey, go Joe, go Joe. Well, but here's the problem. I do like Joe Biden. He's a decent man, but he's been wrong about everything on foreign policy. If I had eight years to live, I'd want to live during the Obama-Biden presidency because it seemed like forever. Uh, I thought it was never going to end. You know, ISIS came back, came out because, came about because they ignored the advice of our military. Is he ever going to get out there, though, Senator? Senator, does he, is he, is President Trump going to lose to a guy that doesn't campaign? Well, I don't know what he's going to do, but I know there are people out in the streets all over the country burning down cities, and Joe's not saying much about it. So uh, all I can say is the Democratic Party, when it comes to defunding the police and you know law and order, uh, he needs to stay in his basement. We're all going to be in our basement if he 
if, if, if we keep defunding the police, all of us are going to be in our basement because we can't get out because it's unsafe. So I don't know if you can win a presidential campaign from your basement, but I know this. The difference between a, a Biden presidency and a Trump presidency is night and day on national security, economic security, and domestic security. And if you don't get that, you need to get out of your basement. And lastly, uh, the, the president, you guys, uh, the Republicans have decided to knock on doors and the president's decided to travel. The vice president said there's 176,000 dead because we have not taken the virus seriously. Who's right? Well, the president is right to want to get out and engage the public in a responsible way. Again, I don't hear Joe Biden objecting to thousands of people marching in the streets without a mask uh, protesting the cops. So it's a very much of a double standard. Here's what I think. The American people are going to vote based on what's best for them and their family, their economic security, their domestic security. This is going to be a security election. It's going to be a prosperity election. You know, 176,000 people died from a virus. It's affected the world. If we hadn't stopped travel from China, as President Trump did early on, we'd probably be at a million dead here. And, and Biden objected that. So I like where President Trump is. We're going to get a vaccine. We're going to get drug therapies. And Trump's the best guy to rebuild the economy. He did it once. He can do it again. He is Senator Lindsey Graham. We can cover anything. There's nothing that can throw you. It's amazing. You're very good at this political <laughs> thing. All right, my friend. Go get Thank him, you. Senator. Appreciate it. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The first thing I'd say is I wish we had listened earlier, uh, Cap, to what you were kneeling about and what you were trying to bring attention to. Uh, we had invited him in several times to have the conversation, to have the dialogue. I wish we had the benefit of that. Yeah. We never did. Um, okay, so that was Roger Goodell on a podcast uh, in its conversa- uh, Conversations with a Black Man podcast uh, addressing the Colin Kaepernick situation. And Roger Goodell says, I apologize. What do you mean you're not listening? We all knew about this conversation. He thought it was police brutality. Uh, this is in wake of the Black Lives Matter movement that spawned off uh, uh, George Floyd. But now he wishes, listen, I mean, we all knew it. I, I find that almost disingenuous as much as I like Roger Goodell saying, what do you mean we don't listen? And also, I mean, the fact that they offered to have Kaepernick come in several times this week and he never went in. So why are you not, oh, poor me? They asked for his out. explanation. He didn't show up. And by the way, there's no talk of Kaepernick joining any team. With all this swell of support for him, I guess he doesn't want to play. Let's find out there's even more to know. To know. The VMAs will blow off any type of 14-day quarantine because they're famous and good singers and wear cool outfits. So they'll be allowed to check into hotels without having to fill out a form? Yeah, and can you believe this? Jamel uh, Hill from ESPN tweets that her new book shows we're as bad as Nazi Germany in America. Isn't proud that of, great? Great. Proud of her country. not ESPN anymore. It beats me. But you could always leave if you're not happy. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com, order any of my books. I sign them and send them back. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. 
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.